and welcome back to Cultural Reset. I'm Maddie. And I'm Aurora. Welcome back to another another great week. Yeah. Madeline, did you have a good week this week? This was an interesting week for me. I did have kind of an embarrassing moment in my apartment. I was walking down the hallway and I came across my neighbor. With the cute one? Well, I think he's cute. I can't, he's wearing a mask. It's hard to tell, but okay. we're both wearing masks and he waves. And I forgot that I was wearing a mask, so I smiled, which is, I mean, it's been, what, six months? Have I learned nothing? And we were making, like, full eye contact. So it looks like I'm just staring, like, straight into his soul, just not choosing to completely not acknowledge that he's there. Can't really tell if he's cute because he was wearing a mask, but he's tall, he wears a mask, and he's a dog, which is kind of like the trifecta of 2020, so. It really is. What kind of, was it a cute dog? It's like a small dog. Respect. I respect people who have small dogs in apartments, like when they have giant dogs. I will say, I do think people can tell when you're smiling because like your cheeks move a little bit and your eyes get a little smaller. And the, sm- the smiles, smile. yeah. I do think, I mean, if you're close up, you can totally tell when someone's smiling. I don't, I don't think we were close enough for him to tell, but if he wants to put his headshot and resume on my doorstep, I will let him know um, in a week or two if he meets the standard because he's tall and he wears masks. So what more can I ask for? Yeah. Let's just hope he's not, he, he doesn't like to fish. If he likes to fish, then he's out of the picture. It's a no from me. How was your week, Aurora? So my moment's not really about me. It's about my mom. And I'm really sorry, mom, for sharing this. You're going to be so mad at me. But my mom got like a call or an email from Netflix being like, hey, you still have this DVD from 2016, you know, back in the old days where like Netflix was like DVDs. Like we're going to charge you $15 because, you know, you have this lost DVD. And she was like, look, I've been paying for Netflix for years. You know, I haven't gotten DVDs for years, obviously since 2016. Is there any way you can take this like $15 charge off for this DVD? And they were really great. Netflix has good customer service. Like, yeah, like we'll take this charge off. And she was like, okay, cool. And they were then telling her, so do you want to keep your DVD portion of your Netflix account? Wait, have you guys still been paying for the DVD portion? Since 2016, (gasps) my mother, I guess since the extent, has been paying $8 a month. I didn't even know that they still had that component of their... So we are OG Netflix users. So we had it when it was just DVDs. Yeah, we did too. started streaming when they just had like baby streaming almost. We had like a combined plan of like DVD and streaming. And then I think what happened was my mom got grandfathered in to this plan and we never gave up the DVDs. And so I was like, well, didn't you see it on your credit card bill? But my parents thought like Netflix was $20 a month. Instead of like the four or like instead of like the 12 and the eight. Wow. So my mom for the last four years has been paying $8 a month for DVD rentals that we have obviously not been using. Oh my God. That's wild. But we did call them up and they ref- they're giving us like a year credit of Netflix because we were like, we haven't rented a DVD in four years. Wow. Well, that's nice of them. That's good customer service for you. Yeah. So customer service A1. Um, but if you're paying more than you think for your Netflix, please look into your account and make sure you're not paying for DVDs. I'd also like to thank my parents for letting me use their Netflix yes. for my whole life. Yes. I really appreciate that. So sorry for outing you, mom. So today we're going to get started first with asking for a friend. A few of y'all DM'd us after we talked about this on our first episode. 
And I think, Maddie, you actually said the line, but you talked about cottagecore. So today we're going to go over what is cottagecore? Yeah. Um, you might have seen people talking about this a lot lately on TikTok or in reference to Taylor Swift's new album. She has a very, folk- folklore has a very cottagecore aesthetic, but cottagecore is an aesthetic which celebrates a return to traditional skills and crafts like foraging, baking, and pottery. It has very nature vibes, like you're in the woods, lots of flowers, plants, interacting with animals, gardening, that sort of thing. I also think it goes along really well with Gen Z because I'm on TikTok and this is something I've always felt, but now I feel not alone in that I hate like McMansions and like super suburban homes. And I just want like a small little cottage looking or normal looking home even if it's not in like the woods. And so I think it's in a way like anti-suburbia too. Yeah. And it's also just a way to escape from the stress of the modern world. And I've seen a lot of people say things like, today I realized I don't have a dream job. I don't dream of working. I dream of living in a cottage and making like homemade cheese and gardening. Like that's the dream for me. Yeah. And I think quarantine in a way in 2020 has brought us back to that. I think we've all tried to, in some ways, like to keep the time, learn new skills. I had a friend who dropped off like homemade kombucha for me this week. One of my friends is super into bread making. I've gotten into baking a little bit. I mean, we all did the whole banana bread craze. So I think in some ways it's getting back to the roots of, you know, trying to learn and teach yourself new skills and going back to like being local and eating fresh and versus this on the go quick, quick, quick lifestyle that I think we were all kind of living prior to this. Yeah. And especially with quarantine, since we're all, for the most part, stuck inside all day, especially if you're in an apartment, you don't have a yard to go out into. It it is very nice to think about being somewhere where you're just in nature all the time. You're outdoors, you're with animals. It's definitely like a nice escapism thing to sort of dream about that kind of life. Yeah. But I do think though, there are people who are going and living that right now. I've seen people on my feed who quit their jobs and are traveling to national parks or going camping and they used to not go camping before. So I think even if you're not living in a cottage 100% of the time, you are taking part in a little bit of cottage core idealism. Oh yeah. People are definitely trying to get whatever, however close they can to that kind of lifestyle. But I think that it became a term and now it's almost becoming a lifestyle. I saw like an NPR article about like cottagecore recipes and how to decorate your house and cottagecore aesthetic. And so what was like kind of a concept has now, you know, spurred out into all these different things. Yeah. You can see it in fashion. People are really into loose fitting flowy dresses like the puffy sleeves with peasant oh my god the puffy sleeves <laughs> um with like muted tones or embroid oh embroidery people are getting really into embroidering right now doing those like what are they called with a circle and then you you stitch it uh cross stitching that and um like very subtle floral tone floral patterns that sort of thing people are really into that right now but i think even sewing yeah yeah people are really into making their own clothes right now being more sustainable supporting the environment yeah i also think too we get it in a way from media i think you know the most recent little women which came out christmas last year sort of spurred it for like a lot of young people i think mid midsum- midsummer is it midsummer or midsummer 
I never saw it, but that has a very big like cottage core aesthetic. And I remember people be, were obsessed with like Florence Pugh and the entire aesthetic of that movie. I mean, I've watched a few cottage core movies during quarantine. And Pride and Prejudice is on Netflix now. So that's a great one. The Keira Knightley version is the only acceptable version of that film. I was about to be like, is it the Keira Knightley version? If it's not, I don't want it. If you guys are not aware, Maddie Dean is in love with Keira Knightley. Yes, 100%. So to kind of go on the theme with to go on the theme with Cottage Core today, we are jumping into a topic that I'll be honest, I have researched, I have read about, but I fully still don't understand. And then some of our listeners out there have also asked us about this, and this is why we're covering it. And we actually have an expert on the matter, and that is Caroline Calloway. Yes. Um, as someone who did purchase her art while slightly knocked out from pain meds after surgery last year um, and also dressed up as her for Halloween, I would say that I am a bit of an expert on Caroline Calloway. So where to begin? Yeah. Walk me through, if I were to say, who is Caroline Calloway in three sentences or less, how would you define her? Oh man, three sentences or less. Well, I would say she's an influencer. She's kind of an, she's not an influencer in the way that you think she is. She's not like out there doing sponsored content. She doesn't really do a lot of that. She got really big on Instagram when it first started. She is from Virginia, went to Phillips Exeter Academy, which is like a really elite, expensive and difficult to get into boarding school. Then she went to NYU for college. She always really wanted to go to Cambridge University, but she didn't get in the first time. So she kept trying. The one in England. Yeah. So she finally gets in and she transferred there in 2013 and she studied art history. So that's, art history is kind of a big part of her vibe. She always knew that she wanted to be a writer and actually she changed her name at 17 from Caroline Calloway Gottschall to Caroline Calloway because she thought it would look better on books. Which I mean, honestly, it does. it's it, it's such a soothing name. It's true, and honestly, I respect that she's like committed to the bit. Started Instagram. She joined Instagram when she was at NYU, and she started picking up more attention for it while she was at the University of Cambridge. She was known for her long captions, which no one was really doing that at the time. We were all just writing like coffee art, like coffee time. You know, here's a picture of my Cheerios. Like twenty, are we talking about like twenty twelve Instagram? Yes, very. Like literally the beginning of Instagram, everyone was just posting pictures with like excessive filters and not um, innovative captions. But she was posting these really long captions. She saw it as an opportunity to write a memoir about her life on Instagram. She created this kind of fairy tale slash Harry Potter whirlwind story that really appealed to American audiences, I think, because there is kind of an obsession of with, you know, England and the royal family and Harry Potter here. Especially with millennials. Yeah, definitely. And she is a millennial, so. Um, but she chronicled her romances and all of these wild stories happening in her life. And so people got really interested in who she was. Okay, so she started chronicling this, her Instagram. So did she have a following at this point when she was doing this? She was, mm, I can't remember how many followers she had. I think she had 50,000, 50, between 50 and 200,000. I can't remember. Yeah, she had 50,000. Which is a lot in 2012. She announced in 2016 
that she would be writing a memoir. She got a book deal with Flatiron Books for half a million dollars, and she received a 30% advance on that, which is, let's see, 30% of 100 is 30. So 150,000. She got $150,000 in advance. She then, in 2017, had to pull out of the book deal because she didn't feel like she could fulfill the contract. And the book that she had sold was a lie and it wasn't who she actually was. And so she decided she would rather owe all of that money back to the publisher than write a book that she didn't think she could write. And this was kind of her first scandal. Okay, so she rejects this book or rejects this book deal. Yes, she decides to change her mind. I don't know. If I was given half a million dollars, I think that would give me a lot of motivation to write a book, but to each his own. Yeah. So she stopped posting on Instagram for a while um, and started only posting on her stories. And this is when I discovered Caroline Calloway. When I uh, first started following her, she was only posting on her Instagram stories. And that really intrigued me because there was something interesting about how you had to watch it in the moment. Nothing was permanent. You couldn't go to her page and instantly know what was going on with her life because she didn't save anything to her highlights. She wasn't posting anything on her feed. And I think that was partly because she was trying to stay out of, you know, the media after the whole book deal fell through. Mm. I thought that was really interesting. And I really appreciated how open she was about her mental health and how she was struggling with depression and Adderall addiction and her father's mental health and how important it was that she went to therapy, but she really painted, she paints her life with this air of mystery. She lives in a cute little West Village apartment in New York, and it's filled with plants and art and books. And she doesn't have a kitchen table. She has this tableau on the rug of her apartment where she has candles and plants. And that's where like people eat dinner when they come over. And she seems like she's living this very carefree, almost the life of a movie character. She dresses cool. She has these cool friends. And I remember one point realizing, what does she do all day? How does she make money? She doesn't do ads. Like, what is she doing all day? And at this point, I hadn't learned anything about her, her book deal or anything like that. But I was like, what is, what is going on? Okay, so how did how do you get from she doesn't have a book deal, but she obviously has like a very lavish lifestyle. So how is she making money? Well, in 2018, at the end of 2018, she launched a creative workshop tour across the US, um, selling tickets for $165. She promised personalized letters for everyone who came. Everyone was going to get a flower crown. She was going to make personalized salads for everyone. Everyone would get mason jars and they would work on their creative ideas together. And she ended up getting a lot of press for this because she had to cancel the majority of these workshops because she didn't have the venues. And she refunded everyone who didn't want to come or couldn't come because they they had to cancel the event. And she ended up having two of the workshops in New York and she did a few more in Austin and DC, I believe. Is she just like a, is she just a bad planner? Like she didn't do this book deal after getting half a million advance. 
And then she planned all these workshops that didn't happen. Is she just like not good at like execution? Well, I think with the book deal, which we'll get into this more later, but she was really struggling with her um, mental health and her Adderall addiction at the time. And I think that was a really big part of why she couldn't go through with the book deal back then. That makes sense. But with these creative workshops, um, she someone started, a reporter started a thread about her on Twitter calling her a scammer, basically saying these workshops were the next fire festival, which everyone's got to stop saying every single scam is a fire festival because that's, I mean. Also for our older listeners, fire festival was this super like glamorous festival that was supposed to happen. And all these like actors and influencers, including like Kendall Jenner and Gigi Hadid, were paid to be in these ads and people paid like thousands of dollars and then when they got there there was no music and no food like nowhere to really sleep and they're like their bougie meals was like a piece of bread with a slice of cheese on it yeah similar to the meals that nyu students are getting um in quarantine so this reporter starts a thread calling her a scammer because the workshops in new york did not live up to expectations she obviously couldn't make salad for every single person who comes all by herself and she didn't have time to write all these letters or, you know, make flower crowns for everyone. There was one point where she had a pallet of like 1,200 mason jars shipped to her apartment, which obviously didn't fit through the door, but that was a whole thing where she just had mason jars literally all over her apartment. So she was labeled a scammer. This was kind of her second biggest scandal she got canceled for it, kind of, but that was when she kind of came back into the spotlight after the book deal, which I don't really think it's fair to say she's a scammer. I think, first of all, she refunded everyone, so by definition, that's not a scam, but I also think she was just unprepared, which like she admitted that she didn't know what she was getting into, and people also criticized the $165 price point, but I mean, people pay way more for like 30 seconds backstage for like a VIP photo at a concert. Or I think about like these Bachelor stars charge $100 for a six minute cameo video. Yeah. Like I think to say that that was too expensive is like, well, if it's too expensive, like you determine for yourself whether or not that's valuable to you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you're you're paying for lunch, but you're also paying like the opportunity to meet her. Yeah. And I also like the whole creative workshop thing. Like when I remember seeing her posting about it, I instantly just saw it as like a a meet and greet type thing. Like I didn't think it was going to be actually, you were actually creating anything. It was more just like, you're going to get to meet her, take a picture with her and like listen to her speak, which people pay way more for that, I feel like. So yeah, I think about like these politicians who have these like thousand dollar fundraisers where it's like, you know, you can meet the president for a quarter million dollars. Yeah. So after that whole thing happens, she starts selling her art on Instagram, which I did purchase one. Um, (laughs) How much did it cost? I legitimately don't remember. Over $100? No, I would not have paid over $100 for... But is it at least framed? Oh yeah, it's framed. Okay. Listen, I own a piece of internet history. Okay, so she starts selling her art and um, people are buying it. Then at the end of 2019, well, at the end, it was like September... Her friend from NYU, Natalie Beach, publishes an article titled I Was Caroline Calloway in the Cut, where she chronicles their friendship and everything that went wrong in their friendship and kind of tries to expose Caroline as a scammer yet again. 
So this is her scandal round two. Yeah, this is kind of, I guess this is her third big scandal. Third. But it kind of, because it's like, well, she had the book deal, then she had Mm. the workshops and this this article drops. So it's the third moment in time where she's getting a lot of negative attention in the media, but it's, it also just kind of draws attention back to the book deal a lot. We find out this article's coming out and Caroline is posting about it on Instagram all day, every day, up until it dropped. And she was generally pretty complimentary of Natalie saying that she missed being friends with her and that she was a great writer, was praising her a lot. So this was interesting to watch leading up to the article coming out. I guess I'll get into everything that comes out in the article. Yeah, give us the highlights of this the cut article. Oh my God. It's a doozy. It's a long read. Um, so Caroline and Natalie met when Natalie was a sophomore at NYU and Natalie was like instantly fascinated with Caroline and wanted to help her with her writing. Caroline became interested in Natalie when she learned that Natalie grew up in New Haven, which Caroline was kind of obsessed with because she had always wanted to go to Yale, but got rejected. And I think her dad went to Yale. But so Natalie and Caroline start hanging out all the time. Natalie kind of talks about Caroline like she's the main character in a movie. Um, This like elusive manic pixie dream girl type character. And, but she's also in the article almost immediately critical and kind of paints Caroline as untrustworthy. And the friend who you know is like making up all these stories that you know aren't true, but you just listen One big thing people were talking about when this article came out was Yale plates. Natalie gave Caroline some plates from Yale, like traditional Yale. um, What's it called? Like when all the plates match? A plate set? Not not China, but like, anyway, I can't think of the word. But so Natalie gives Caroline these Yale plates for her birthday. Caroline tells her later that they were stolen from her apartment along with her Exeter ring. And Natalie thought she was lying, especially when she saw Caroline wearing the Exeter ring a few weeks later, because it was like, if if you have the Exeter ring, don't you also still have the plates? Mm. Caroline has since confirmed that she was lying when she said that the Yale plates were stolen. She hasn't said if she still has them or what happened to them, but we do know that she was lying when the plates were stolen. About a year after they become friends... This is when Caroline really starts gaining popularity on Instagram. She went to visit Natalie in Sicily at the end of her semester abroad and told Natalie that she had gained 50,000 followers after posting a picture of like macaroons on Instagram, which uh, was very true to Instagram at the beginning. Like if you posted an aesthetic picture of anything, it would get on like the discover page or whatever. That was Instagram at the time. Um, oh, it was so easy back then. It in was the day. so simple. Caroline's brand was this like hashtag adventuregrams thing. She would post about her life story and traveling so that people could live vicariously through her. I do feel like, regardless of your thoughts, she sounds like she was ahead of the time when it comes to like curating a personality. Oh, yeah. I mean, this was very innovative at the time. No one was really doing it this way. So Natalie becomes kind of bitter. She starts to feel invisible around her, and she wrote in her journal at the time that she wanted something embarrassing to happen to Caroline because she felt like she'd always gotten everything she wanted, and that she felt like an unpaid intern for helping her like take the photos and the captions, which I think 
everyone's had a friend at one point or another that they feel like has just gotten everything they wanted without trying. So I, I think people can relate to that, but. Oh yeah. I thought you were going to say everyone's had a friend text them, which should I caption this? Because this that's is true. also very true. I love how you, you like help pick your friend, like curate their Instagram posts, like pick what filters, which pictures they should post, what caption. And then they post it and then you go on there. Like you haven't seen, you're like, oh my God, gorgeous. Do you pretend you weren't involved in every moment of that? So they're in Sicily, and after they are trying to go home, they run into some problems with their flights, and Natalie ends up owing Caroline a lot of money. So she offers to pay her back by editing her Instagram posts for her. And Natalie really believed that, like, being connected to Caroline was going to be a huge part of her career as a writer taking off. I mean, yeah, I get that. Yeah, so she was really, like, willing to do this. Natalie goes back to NYU. Caroline starts college over at Cambridge. Natalie runs into some problems with her roommate, and Caroline offers to let her stay in her apartment, but backs out at the last minute saying something weird about, like, the value of gold. She tells Natalie that she needs her to help her rent out the apartment and that Natalie can't stay there anymore. This is when Natalie kind of starts to realize that, like, Caroline's always going to let her down. And then Caroline starts posting on Instagram without Natalie's help. And then she gets her book deal and Natalie... A new book deal? Or is this the first book deal? This is the first book deal. This is 2015. She's getting her first book deal. And Natalie, having not spoken to her in a while and wanting to get back in on this because she really thinks she's going to help her with her career, reaches out to her and wants to help with the book proposal. And then Caroline comes back to New York, says the book proposal is due in like a week. And they write for several days straight, fueled by Adderall. And Caroline agrees to give Natalie 35% of the profits from the book deal. And they worked on it for like two months. The executives loved it. And Natalie got no credit, even though she was waking up every day for like to write for like two hours. And um, Natalie also clarifies at this point that it wasn't a half a million dollar book deal. It was $375,000, which... That's still a lot of money. I would still be very happy with. I'd still take it. So then in January of 2016, Caroline's having trouble finishing the book and Natalie flies to Cambridge to help her and finds that Caroline is living in complete disarray. She's not going to class. She's not seeing friends. There's pill bottles everywhere. And during this time, Caroline tells Natalie that she didn't actually get those 50,000 followers from posting the macaroons. She bought the followers, or some of them at least, and paid for ads to get followers. Is this back when you could buy followers? Yeah. But I do think more people have bought followers than we all think. Yeah. I could see that. I mean, you could talk about, I mean, giveaways in a way are buying followers. Yeah. But like, these are literally buying like bots to follow you. I feel like now if people find out like, oh, X company bought bots to follow them, like you're just going to get destroyed on social media. It's also just so obvious, like when you have hundreds of thousands of followers and like no one's commenting or liking on your posts. That too. Caroline and Natalie go on a trip to Amsterdam and they have a bit of, they run into a bit of a problem there where Caroline and Natalie are at a bar. Caroline goes back to where they're staying. Caroline thinking Natalie was going home with someone else doesn't respond to any of Natalie's texts or calls and Natalie ends up like sitting on the porch of wherever they're staying all night and she's just kind of abandoned waiting for Caroline to let her in and so this is when Natalie really starts to lose trust in her so time goes on Natalie's continuing to help with the book deal via Skype and 
Caroline doesn't feel like she can do it again. And Natalie writes like 25% of the, the book proposal. And Caroline reads it and tells Natalie that she, like, she threatened suicide if Natalie continued to write the book, which Natalie kind of mischaracterized this in the original publication of the article. Um, she kind of made it seem like Caroline was saying that because of how bad Natalie's writing was. But Caroline has since clarified that it was actually that was just how bad her depression and addiction was at that point. It had nothing to do with how the quality of Natalie's writing. So I do think that's important to note. This is kind of the end of the article. Natalie says, Caroline is always going to have to tell her own story, even if she actually isn't capable of telling it herself. So are you team Natalie or are you team Caroline? They both kind of sound like I think it was just a toxic. People. I think it was a toxic a friendship. Bit. Yeah. But yeah, there was a lot of debate when Natalie's article came out about like who was in the right, who was in the wrong. Caroline clearly had more of the power in this relationship because Natalie was so fascinated with her, but that, that, like, that's what kept Natalie bound to her and her belief that like her success was tied to Caroline. But Caroline was also clearly really struggling with addiction, mental illness. So I think that doesn't excuse like the things Caroline did to her, but Natalie also did some stuff that wasn't great either. No, that makes sense. And she did, Caroline has confirmed the yellow plates were a lie. They weren't stolen. A lot of the things that she said were lies and she knows she was a bad friend at the time. A lot of people think that this was like, this article was a, a mutual effort between the two of them to get notoriety and get book deals for both of them, that sort mm. of thing, which, I mean, wouldn't surprise me. I don't think that it was like a joined effort though. Like, I really don't think Caroline knew that Natalie was writing this until the week mm. before they published it, but. I guess, why is Caroline Calloway still relevant? Like, what does she do that's so exciting and different? Well, it's really interesting because she doesn't really, like whenever a scandal like this happens, she doesn't shy away from it. She kind of like takes ownership of the scammer label and like is able to make a joke about it. She's also always just like up to something, like just posting on Instagram, on Twitter. Like she's always posting a bunch of stuff and it's like, it's a lot. It's kind of hard to follow, honestly. It is like, sometimes I'm just like, I don't understand the fascination even though there was a point where I was like glued to her stories. Yeah. I also saw she is coming out with a book, I think this year or next year called yeah, Scammer. I, th- I think it was supposed to come out in August, um, like end of August, but I don't know. It probably has been delayed yeah. due to the current state of the world. But she did also post in April, she started posting essays that were a response to Natalie's article titled, I am Caroline mm. Calloway. So um, you do have to pay to read them, but she donated all of the proceeds, at least from the first article, to COVID relief funds. So that's charitable of her. Yeah. And isn't she also on OnlyFans, too? Oh, she's, she's on OnlyFans. She's doing a lot of um, period piece-inspired content on OnlyFans, like Pride and I've Prejudice. Very uh, cottagecore. Yeah. That's a little different than what's normally on OnlyFans. I mean, she has her, her niche figured out, that's for sure. I just don't understand the allure. Or the attraction to her. I, to me, she just seems like a privileged woman who probably had some toxic friendships, which I think we can all, you know, at one point in our lives have had to deal with. I guess for me, I don't understand why she's so unique compared to other artists or writers out there who have less. I think it is just the way that she has always been so open about like pretty much everything going on in her life. Like she was posting Like, I mean, she really did craft this like novel or memoir on Instagram and she's like still kind of doing that. And I think it's really... So is it almost like her whole curated look is almost being uncurated in that 
she follows the same aesthetic, but she doesn't come out as like this perfect picture thing that I think we do see or try to have on Instagram. Yeah, I mean, she leans heavily into like the messiness of her life. I just think a huge part of the reason why people are so drawn to her is because she is so open about stuff like that. I think there's always, you know, when you can relate to someone and they're not this perfect picture, you are going to be interested in their life. And I think sometimes like in a way, you know, way more about her life than these other influencers because they just show you this like one very like curated side to them. Where she's very much the opposite. Do you think she'll still be known in 10 years? Like, do you think we're still going to care about what Caroline Calloway is up to in 2030? Well, I'm pretty sure she is getting like a TV series where Natalie is. One, something's happened between the two of them with like a, a movie or um, TV series. So whenever that comes out, I do think that will be getting a lot of attention. But I think people will still know who she is in 10 years. Okay. Well, thank you for breaking down Caroline Calloway with us, Maddie. Um, all of your knowledge and years of following the story has finally proved to be helpful. Yeah, I guess it was worth it. Should we do some tweets? We shall. This week, Maddie is going to be testing me on not like other tweets. She's going to read me three Twitter headlines. I will say which one I think is fake. Just for everyone to know, I have no idea what headlines Maddie has picked out. So let's get started. Okay, I'm going to try to keep a straight face because... <laughs> These all really make me laugh. Okay. The dark history behind the nursery rhyme, Old MacDonald Had a Farm. The origin of New Jersey's original fat sandwich. And men should limit alcohol to one drink a day. New study finds. I think that's real. Like men should limit to one drink a day. I'm gonna... But, oh, I can also see that being fake. Ooh, ooh. Um, okay, the Old MacDonald one I think is legit. And I think the sandwich one is, it's like so weird that it could be legit. So, you know what? I'm going to go with the one drink for men. I'm going to say that's fake. I'm going to say it's two drinks. <laughs> well, uh, that one's real. Oh. Scientists have said that men should only have one drink a day. What about women? It's the same for women, I think. Oh. That was their, their study, I think, was saying that like, that's what they've been saying for women and men should also adhere to that too. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. equality. It, fair's fair. Okay, then I'm going to go with the sam- this New Jersey sandwich thing being fake. That's also real. <laughs> no! You get me every time! New Jersey's original fat sandwich. There's no limit to what you can find in a fat sandwich. Each one is packed with things like chicken fingers and mozzarella sticks. Oh, that sounds so good. Yeah, honestly, I'd try it. I'm really surprised. You got me good with the old McDonald. I honestly thought it was going to be about like a slaughter, like a slaughterhouse type, like... What inspired me was I saw something that was like the dark history behind the ice cream truck theme. Oh, yes, I did see that. But I don't, I don't think there's any dark history behind old McDonald. I think it's just a song about farm animals. <laughs> you never know these days. Well, everybody... That's our show for today or this week. Well, everybody, that's our show for this week. If you aren't following us, uh, Cultural Reset Pod on Instagram, please make sure you are. We're also on TikTok. And please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you really, really love us, you'll leave us a written review. Cultural Reset would like to remind you to please wear a mask when you leave the house. And ta-ta for now. (laughs) 